When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Podcast. I am Dan Lobby, and I'm joined by the whole crew today, which, of course, includes Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? Good. Just enjoying winter in May right now. How about you? (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Same thing. And Scott Patsko back with us. Scott, how are you today? Doing good. Refreshed and ready to go. And of course, Ellis Williams with us as well. Ellis, how are you? Doing well. Weather sounds a little better here in Minnesota than what you guys are dealing with, which is surprising whenever I hear that. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, cold, cold and snow here in here in Cleveland. Um, All right, let's get to it. It's Texture Tuesday, so we went to our Football Insider subscribers and asked for their questions. That's going to drive our entire podcast. A little later in the podcast, you can hear how to get involved with Football Insider, but let's get right to these questions. So the first question, and the entire reason I picked it, is because this person from the 915 area code said, you all are doing a great job covering the Browns. Thank you very much. Here's the question. Nick Chubb may be the Browns. This is a statement. Nick Chubb may be the Browns' best running back since the great Leroy Kelly. His first two years in the league are comparable to those of the real GOAT, Jim Brown. With the revamped offensive line, how many yards do you think Nick Chubb will gain in 2020? Now, look, whenever the Browns send out their post-game notes, you see Nick Chubb updates, and it is pretty much, you know, Nick Chubb has the most rushing yards. You know, it's Jim Brown, Jim Brown, Nick Chubb, Jim Brown. That, that's sort of what you see when they send out those post-game notes and update his rushing totals. Uh, so let, let's talk about this. Nick Chubb in this new scheme with this revamped line, uh, zone blocking, Mary Kay, what kind of year are we looking at for this guy? Well, I think he's certainly capable of leading the NFL in rushing this year and ending up with 1,500 yards or, or whatever the case may be. However, I think it will depend on how they decide to use Kareem Hunt. I mean, if they want to keep these two guys fresh and they want to roll both of them in there uh, and get both of these guys to football, I mean, you've got two really good running backs here. Uh, so, you know, if they want both of them, I mean, you know, maybe you have a, a Mac and Biner, you know, thousand thousand type of situation this year. And maybe that takes a little bit away from, from Nick. But if you were just focusing on Nick, uh, he's all set up to, you know, to lead the NFL in rushing if, uh, you know, if they choose to do it like that. Scott, what, what do you think about Nick Chubb and, and his outlook this year? You know, Delvin Cook had 1,100 yards last year, 250 carries. Uh, Chubb had about 50 more than that, carries-wise. I think we tend to look at, okay, what, did, what happened last year with Minnesota? But what they didn't have was Kareem Hunt. You know, obviously, 
we've all mentioned numerous times, uh, Kareem's kind of the, the, you know, the wild card in all this. We're not sure exactly how he's going to be used in this offense. I think I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Chubb barely breaks a thousand yards. I mean, he could have some big games to get him there. So he's known for huge runs and, and breaking tackles and yards after contact and all that. But, you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't build on what he's done already, I wouldn't be surprised because of the Kareem Hunt factor. Um, and just not knowing how, you know, what we're going to see. This is something that Kevin Stefanski can kind of work into his offense to kind of evolve it a little bit, you know. There's no rule that says he's got to stick with what he did in Minnesota and, and that's it, you know. He, he looks at the players he has here and, and you do that and you, you evolve and you kind of figure out how can I make my offense better. And, and Kareem Hunt's one way to do that. And I think a byproduct of that might be maybe less of what we're expecting of Nick Chubb. Uh, Ellis, uh, are you, uh, I don't want to say optimistic. I think everybody's optimistic about Chubb, but uh, it, it sounds like they also think maybe that split carries could keep his numbers down. Are you feeling bigger numbers, smaller numbers? Where are you with Chubb? Yeah, so I, I feel like we're talking about two different things here baked into one. First, like how will Nick Chubb look in Kevin Stefanski's scheme, wide zone? And this is going to fit him really well, Dan. You you were on it right away, that one cut type of run I, I just broke down the the Ravens run from last year and though that wasn't wide zone it was pulling guard it, a lot of the same stuff he sees a hole he goes through it this is going to be a really good system for Nick Chubb schematically now when we're talking carries and how that's going to be distributed it gets a lot more interesting one thing with sports in general but specifically with football is when you have momentum you don't mess it up you know that's why every quarterback's scared to get injured and lose their job because, you know, the, the next, the young kid might come take it from, him. you know, Tom Brady's the goat and that's how he got his start. A million different stories like that. Um, Nick Chubb had the year he had, of course, cause he played really well, but also he was on a roll cause there was no other running back behind him worthy of carries. And now they're going to start the year on equal footing and a, a, a split system probably makes more sense if you're trying to preserve the legs of each of them and of this team like they probably do think they're a playoff team then you have to think that you're playing later in the season and keeping bodies fresh and there's just no reason to run someone to the ground so I think Nick Chubb's gonna look great in this system but if he can duplicate his numbers from last year I don't think it's set up that way because Kareem Hunt's gonna be here from the start rather than coming halfway through the season. Kareem Hunt is kind of the wild card in all this I feel like we talk about him a lot and, and we haven't clearly defined his role he was a big topic of discussion um with the Rashard Higgins thing, you know, I kind of mentioned back when the Browns re-signed Rashard that at some point you're going to have to make this choice. Do you want Rashard Higgins on the field? Do you want Kareem Hunt on the field? I feel like the choice is a little different with Nick Chubb because Nick Chubb is one of the best running backs in football. And he was all, he should have won the rushing title last year. He just didn't uh, because they, they didn't use him enough against Cincinnati. Right. And, and, and in certain other parts of the season, uh, but he really is a, a great fit for this offense. And, you know, Ellis, you mentioned big runs. You mentioned that Baltimore run. The one that really I think people should go back and watch is that 92-yard run against the Falcons uh, because I think that run was just – I look at that and that's the run that I'm like, okay, that seems to be what we're going to see a lot of. Not 92-yard runs, but we're going to see a lot of that type of big playability from Nick Chubb uh, in, in this sort of scheme. So, you know, the Kareem Hunt thing is really interesting, and he's sort of this – this great toy that these offensive coordinators have. But I think this is also a reminder that, you know, when, when, when people go on Twitter and they list out all the Browns weapons and they just put these big lists out there, you can't have them all on the field at once. 
you know, you have to pick a set number of guys to have on the field. There's only one football. And, and this is sort of the, it's the blessing and the curse that Kevin Stefanski faces, Mary Kay. And you know what? And, and the thing that I, that I always think about with Kareem Hunt is that it, it really gives you uh, the opportunity uh, to be so deceptive against that defense. Because if you've got Kareem Hunt on the field, you have no idea where, whether he's going to flare out, whether he's going to, uh, you know, go into some kind of motion and end up catching a pass or if he's going to run uh, the football. So I think that, that that really creates some unbelievable matchups. And even though this football team loves Nick Chubb and everybody loves Nick Chubb, I think there's going to be, if, if Kareem Hunt is – on track and he's on the straight and narrow and in good standing with everybody. I really think that he is uh, going to give them a lot of options in terms of run versus pass and confusing the defense. And we already know uh, that Kevin Stefanski really likes to do that. He, they don't want you to know whether you're going run or pass and they want to uh, leave that a mystery as late as they can into the play. So I think for that reason, uh, you know, you might see a fair amount of Kareem Hunt. And, and Scott, going back to Hunt real quick, I mean, for me at least, I, we, we saw what he could do in Kansas City. Uh, of course, you and I in different spots got, got to see him dominate high school fields uh, a number of times. But we saw what he could do in Kansas City. But even by that regard, when I kind of watched him in person last year, it, it was kind of eye-opening how, how talented he was. So, I mean, it's, it's a good problem. It's a good problem for the Browns to have, I guess. Yeah, I remember when he first showed up uh, at camp, um, when he was first allowed to get back on the field, and it was, you know, instantaneous. Like, you know, I, they're doing, I think it was running back versus linebacker uh, drills, uh, passing drills, and, you know, he just breezing by people and just showing how good he is at, at getting open and, and, and catching the ball and, um Having said that, though, I wouldn't be surprised if they use Nick Chubb more in the passing game this year, or at least see if it's possible, because you don't want to get into a position of, all right, Nick Chubb's out there. They're going to run the ball, you know. Um, Kareem Hunt's out there now with him, and so now we just have to worry about Kareem Hunt going out wide. We don't really have to worry about Nick Chubb. But but you're right. I think seeing Kareem Hunt last year, you, you quickly got the idea that, that this guy can be a special player, and if he's there for a whole year – like he is now, although this, you know, the pandemic is kind of throwing a wrench into things, but just the fact that he's, he's a part of this team for a whole year now, I think is, is going to be a, a big difference. And going into camp, having him there from day one, you know, that, that'll be a big deal. And he's, like I said, he's the biggest wild card and finding out how he is used will be something I think we're going to be tracking once they do get back on the field. All that said, I'm going to answer the question. I'm going to say 1500 yards for Nick Chubb and the rushing title. There we go. <laughs> Don't hold me. Nobody dig this podcast up. We do one of these every day. So this is going to get buried within like a week. But 1,500 yards and, uh, and the rushing title for Nick Chubb. Anybody else? Any Ellis? Yeah, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say something quick. I think I'm going to go under 15. That is, that is a monster number. And I just think Kareem Hunt's going to be Huge. involved more. Right now. But where I think we're going we're gonna to see more success is Nick Chubb in the red zone. And though he, it, it's not where he's suited. And again, Dan, you were on this last year. The Browns are just, in general, overall, going to be a better red zone team this year. You look at what Kevin Stefanski was able to do in Minnesota with Kirk Cousins, I think that translation is going to be pretty smooth. So I think the touchdowns will be up. And how I want to end this is this is going to drive, and I know we don't do a whole lot of fantasy football talk, but this running back marriage is going to drive fantasy football owners crazy come September. 
it just knowing who to draft where and how these players are going to be used. So not only are we following it, fantasy football owners across America are going to be going crazy over these two. Okay, uh, next question here. We spent a lot of time on that one, so we're going to pick up the pace just a little bit here. But this one has to do with Baker Mayfield. So I don't know, maybe this one will slow us down a little too. Uh, there has been a lot of talk about uh, Baker Mayfield and kind of being out of excuses this year. Uh, and, and this person brings up, I think, a fair point. Uh, it, it seems to me – I'm having trouble kind of finding a, a reason here. Has Baker Mayfield been an excuse guy? It just doesn't seem like he's been a, a big excuse guy. And, and that's, what, that's what they're saying here. Um, can you think of a time that he's been here that he's really used any excuse other than his own play? And I guess the way to spin that is I think we should probably feel good about this because I think Baker Mayfield is a guy that's going to look at himself and say he didn't do the job last year. And he's going to come back probably more ready and you'd hope more hungry than ever after what happened a season ago. And, and this whole no excuses thing, I don't know. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm kind of trying to rack my brain to think if I've heard him really make a bunch of excuses. I haven't. So I, I think that's a good thing for the Browns, Mary Kay. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. He is not an excuse guy. And I think if you look back to last year, last season, he would have had a prime opportunity uh, to make excuses for things that went on on the football field because, you know, as more and more is revealed, we know how dysfunctional it was. We know how disorganized it was. We know that they didn't really have a, a good set game plan. We know the play calling was haphazard and chaotic and inferior and all of those sorts of things. He would have had uh, plenty of opportunities to use excuses last year. And I thought, uh, you know, he really took the high road almost every single week. We did not hear him blaming, uh, you know, just the disconnect even between Todd Munkin and Freddie and all the crazy things that went on last year. So if ever there was going to be a season for him uh, to try to, to pin it somewhere else, it would have been last year. I don't think we'll see that from him. And I, I think he will bounce back in a big way. Yeah, I'd be shocked the first time I ever heard. If I ever heard Baker Mayfield make an excuse for anything, I would be shocked. He he owns it, and he leans into it <laughs> a lot of times. But I think what, uh, what that subscriber might be alluding to is the fact that you've probably heard more than once how Baker is going to be on his, what, third head coach, fourth coordinator. Um, people have brought that up, and I think those are those are important things to note over his first, you know, three years here. Uh, that he's had to go through that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call those excuses. And if he doesn't have a pro bowl year, let's say, I wouldn't say that I don't think it's time to throw in the towel on him because of those things. I think everybody deserves a little time to grow. The, the age of letting quarterbacks go two and three years before you really, that, that's kind of over. It's like, you got to hit early, but again, you keep switching coaches on it and you keep switching coordinators um, you got to give them a little bit of rope there to to kind of kind of get used to things. Yeah, Alice, it just you know it, I, I would hope that Baker's looking at this as his opportunity to to kind of put himself at that level because there was another question as well about kind of where his first two or three years ranks with some other quarterbacks first two or three years and the reality is he hasn't been Patrick Mahomes he hasn't been Deshaun Watson uh, he hasn't been those guys but he's got a chance in year three to put himself in that discussion. Yeah, quite frankly, there's just a lot of money on the line. And, of course, these players want to win, and the quarterback is the face of the franchise. But there is a big payday looming for Baker Mayfield. And, really, the case could be made in, you know, a 12-game span by, by Thanksgiving 
on where Baker's going to land with this looming extension. So it's, it's two things. It's the money and then it's the, the reputation of that first overall pick. And again, the start of this question, he has never made excuses. He just doesn't seem about his nature. He's as transparent and, if you will, real as you really can be at the quarterback spot when, quite frankly, there's so much going on that he doesn't have any control of that it's almost un unfair. And that's a, a football argument that's run its course. But, you know, quarterback wins, they get all the credit. Quarterback loses, they get all the blame. It, it, it's still a team game. But Baker's worn that on his chest, and I, I don't see him changing anytime soon. Uh, okay, another another Baker question. This comes from the 330 area code. Uh, that this person was having a discussion at work, and they compared Baker Mayfield's skill set to Jimmy Garoppolo's skill set. Now, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo led the 49ers to a Super Bowl. Um, I'm curious about your guys' thoughts on that comparison, because I, Mary Kay, I think you and I talked about this when the Browns played the 49ers, and, and we kind of talked about the ceiling that each guy has. And I, I feel like at the time, we both, believe Baker Mayfield maybe had the higher ceiling than Jimmy Garoppolo I know I did I, if I recall right you agreed with that I'm not 100% certain but um, it seems like I don't know I don't know if I love that comparison I think they're very different quarterbacks obviously Jimmy was was really good last year at times and he got to the Super Bowl uh, almost won the Super Bowl Baker has not had that level of success but I feel like uh, his ceiling still might be higher than Jimmy G's yeah, you know, it, it very well could be. Baker has such a unique skill set. And one of the things that for me in, in regards to Baker that always set him apart was his just uh, uncanny accuracy. I mean, he was just so dead on accurate, you know, in when we watched him in practice, when we watched him in 2018. And that kind of went by the wayside yesterday, but I don't think that that was his fault last year. So I do think that his the ceiling is very high. And I think now you will see more of an apples to apples comparison between like a Baker Mayfield and a Jimmy Garoppolo, because now uh, that they're going to be running very similar systems and you will be able to see Baker Mayfield and how he fares in this run based play action scheme, as opposed to whatever the heck they were doing last year. So, um, so now uh, you you can kind of, uh, really, you know, hold those guys up against each other. And I do think he does some things better than Jimmy Garoppolo does. I, I think, I think that he's got better arm talent uh, and, and some of those kinds of things. So uh, I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how he fares in the same type of scheme. Yeah. Especially if, you know, they, they're able to run the ball like San Francisco did last year. There's, there's my, there's my big prediction for Nick Chubb. If they're able to run the ball like San Francisco did, that's certainly going to make uh, life easier for Baker Mayfield. But yeah, I mean, it's really the arm talent. You know, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is obviously he's older. Um, he's probably closer to the finished product. I don't know that Baker Mayfield is quite there yet, even though, you know, he's not like 21 years old, he's 25 now. So uh, I, I still think if, if I were taking someone, Scott and Ellis, I'd probably still take Baker over Jimmy Garoppolo. But this year, he's got to deliver uh, for that to remain true. Yeah, money-wise, you, you certainly would at this point, right? Um, I think Baker, and this might even go back a little bit to the last question we had, but Baker kind of epitomizes the difficulties in analyzing the Browns overall because it's so much change from year to year. And if you just look at the offenses that he's had and the change he's had to go through, individually that's like what our job is every year you know how great would it be to be able to talk about what the Browns did last year and not talk about how it's going to change this year but how it can evolve this year 
you know, not have to go back to look at somebody else, somebody else's previous coaching performance to talk about what could happen with the Browns. It's Baker kind of epitomizes that. So I think Mary Kay's right in that now I think you can kind of maybe match him up more with, with, with how Jimmy Garoppolo does because of the offensive changes, you know, we could obviously do that with Kirk Cousins this year. Um, that'll, that'll be a nice change to, to have that, but going forward, man, it'd be great if we're not sitting here next year talking about these kinds of things. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if we're entering a, a like a Joe Flacco, Jimmy Garoppolo comp here. Like, <laughs> like I, I just haven't seen a, I know Niners didn't win the Super Bowl, but I haven't, a conversation about an NFC championship winning quarterback uh, being comp to Baker Mayfield, you know, with the Jordan doc on our mind in the last dance, you know, let's count the wins. I think the resume says a lot here outside of arm talent and what they look like in seven on seven. I, I, I'm not willing to, I, I don't know the answer, quite frankly, Bank, Baker, because you go back and you just see that accuracy. There are just the way there's some throws Baker makes that you just think like, man, there's only like five other guys in the league that can throw that ball but that's not the complete story. It's flashes. So I guess I'm going to – actually, I am going to answer. I'm going to respect the resume. Jimmy Garoppolo was impressive last year outside of that Green Bay game when he only had to throw the ball like seven times. But that's not his fault. They're running all over the place. So uh, Jimmy G has been there, and if Baker gets these rounds of the playoffs, then I think we revisit this conversation. Okay, uh, before we take our break, you guys want to talk kickers? Because uh, for the 704 area code – can you discuss the Browns kickers and if Austin Seibert is safe or will they bring in some good kickers to compete? We've had kicking competitions really, I think three or four camps in a row now. We've had some, some kicking competitions. Uh, I, I think they still like Austin Seibert. It sounded like when we got to hear from Mike Prefer at the beginning, or I'm sorry, at the end of last season, it sounded like he still believed Austin Seibert could be a good kicker. There's other things they like too, I think, besides his, his field goal kicking. I think they like some of the positional stuff they can do in the kickoff game, things like that. Uh, but I'm always down for a good kicker competition, Mary Kay. Are we going to get one? Well, I'm sure they will bring in competition and they will press him. They will push him to get better. And he does need to step it up. He definitely needs to step it up. But uh, the good thing for him and for the Browns is they do have some continuity. That is the one spot where they have continuity at coaching in terms of a coordinator. Uh, they have Mike Prefer back, and he knows Austin Seibert, of course, as well as anyone. He knows his upside, uh, and he knows uh, that, you know, with the extra coaching and the things that he's worked on in this offseason, how much better he can be. But I do think uh, that they will bring competition in. Obviously, we know competition makes everyone better. So I think he can expect uh, to have somebody breathing down his neck a little bit. And, I, you know, I don't know if it'll be a complete open competition or if they're just going to try to, you know, get him better. Uh, but he can expect to have uh, somebody right by his side. You got to at least have a camp leg, if, if nothing mm -hmm. else. You got to have at least have a camp leg, Scott. Maybe that'll lead us to some, some good kicking competition updates. Listen, at this point, I would give anything to be on a field watching a kicking competition. No, I don't want a kicking competition. I don't want to stand there at camp and try to figure out, okay, who's hitting the most kicks from 30 yards out with no rush? And, hey, there's Jamie Gillen over there on the practice field kicking 61 yarders, you know. Are we going to ask Stefanski if he's a candidate now? No, I could do without it. I'm, I'm fine if they go in with one guy and that's it, and, and, and we have to worry about the other positions. I'm good. No, I need I need Ellis to experience the fun it is when when we we're standing on one side of the of the facility and the kickers start going on the other side and everybody's got their notebooks out and is running to the other side to try and uh, break down the distances and, and the makes and the misses. It's 
it's something you have to experience, Ellis. Yeah, man. Like, look, we already did the virtual draft. I'm hoping there's we're not doing a virtual training camp. So, Dan, I'm all for it. Just, just let me experience this, all right, please. <laughs> and now, now there's a punter that looks like he could play uh, safety or linebacker. So, you know, yeah. uh, you know, so that that should be interesting too. Is, is this the first punter we've had that has like tweeted out workout videos? <laughs> yes. I, can't, I, I don't think Britton Colquitt was tweet, was tweeting out workouts. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to take a quick break. I'll tell everybody about Football Insider, and then we'll uh, we'll catch a few more of these questions. So, you want to get involved in our Texter Tuesday podcast? What you need to do is sign up for Football Insider. What is Football Insider? Well, Mary Kay, me, Scott Ellis, we will text you throughout the day with our thoughts on the Browns, breaking news, instant analysis on the news. Uh, for example, during the schedule release last week, I texted the full schedule out and a take on it. Mary Kay had some thoughts that she texted out to it. That's the sort of stuff you'll get on Football Insider. You also get a chance to interact directly with us, not on Twitter, not on social media. It comes directly to us, and we can interact directly with you. Not just Text Your Tuesday podcast, but also we text you back directly. If you have a question or if you have some, some feedback for us, we can interact directly with you. You also get an exclusive piece of content every day in a newsletter that comes out. It's something that does not show up on the site or you get it first before anybody else sees it on the website. It's a lot of fun. It's something you don't want to miss. So sign up for your 14-day free trial right now. You can cancel anytime. After that, it's $3.99 a month. That's less than 14 cents a day. This thing has been growing throughout the year. It's been exciting to watch. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash browns, click on the box on the right side of the page. It'll take you to a sign-up page, and you can get started. Or you can text 216-208-3965. Again, to start your free trial, that's 216-208-3965. All right, back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Texture Tuesday. And as expected, uh, we did get a lot of questions about the NFL schedule and the season. Um, you know, the big question is fans, you know, right now the NFL is planning to move ahead, planning to have fans in the stadium. But one of the questions basically asked, will fans be present Thursday night at 820 for that first Bengals game at home? And unfortunately, so much of the answers to these questions have to be, we don't really know yet. Uh, you know, Anthony Fauci talked to Peter King. He sounded like, Everything was still really unclear there as well. Uh, Major League Baseball is trying to work towards maybe getting things going on, on July 1st. But who knows about that? They've got to work things out with the Players Union. There's so much that has to be worked out here. Uh, but I, I guess just to answer the question from each of you, are you expecting there to be fans in the stadium on that Thursday night? And if so, what, what kind of capacity are we talking about? We'll start with Scott here. I wouldn't, I would not expect fans to be there, at least not, if there's no, if there's no vaccine at that point, I would say, no, I don't see how you can have, even spacing out people, I don't know that the NFL would want to risk having issues with that. I can see us being all spaced out in the press box. Um, but yeah, I would be surprised if there were fans come week one. Um, I'm kind of anticipating that there won't be. Now, that's going to be a lot of refunds. I don't know how they're going to logistically deal with all that because that's a lot of money to deal with. A lot of people who uh, who bought tickets and season ticket holders, too, uh, expecting to, to be there. But I, I would be surprised if, if there are fans. I think the NFL and, and all major sports are going to are going to go without that. 
You know, well, you know, even even from the media side, I mean, we've all been packed in those press boxes, you know, shoulder to shoulder, trying to fight for those seats or, or a little space to to work. So that'll be interesting as well. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of with Scott here, Mary. I, I think if there are fans, we're talking maybe 30% capacity. I don't even know if they'd be able to get to 50%. Well, I've been spaced out in the press box for years, so, you know, <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be nothing new for me. Um, so, no, I, I would think that it seems to me that the NFL, again, keeps on uh, pushing forward and forging ahead with this, and they're going to try to do everything they can to get fans in those stands in some way, shape, or form. And we know that our country has gotten mixed messages throughout this whole entire process. We have Fauci on one hand, we've got President Trump on the other hand. And one day we think, hey, we're going to have sports and we're going to have fans. And then, and then the next day it's like, no, we can't have sports. We can't have fans. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult. It's been challenging to try to predict what is going to happen. Uh, I would, I'm, I'm thinking that there will be some fans in the stands early on. I, that's just my guess right now, um, and I, I have nothing to go on. Like I said, it changes every single day. Uh, but I, I would think that that we'll try to have some kind of, you know, every other every other row, every other you know, six feet away, what, whatever it is that they come up with. I think they will try to have some fans in the stands as soon as they possibly can. And I could be completely wrong about that. Yeah, I mean that's the caveat to all of this, Ellis. Like I said, we're all we're all just kind of speculating on this because nobody knows what this virus is going to look like, where it's going to be, you know, a week from now, let alone, you know, in September. But, you know, do, do you think we're going to see fans? Yeah. And before I answer that, I think, I think that this texture and just fans in general need to keep in mind that the NFL has built in contingency plans with this schedule release. So though the question specifically said, will we be there in week two to face the Bengals, you know, maybe week two turns into week 19 or something like that. But at some point the NFL is built in every possible way to get as much time as it can for that game to eventually be seen in front of fans. So when it comes down to it, time is the only thing we can't get back, but we, the league is trying to manufacture it the best it can. So I think that bodes well for fans eventually seeing their teams this year. I just, there's no way to know when that'll happen yet. Um, and, and, you know, kind of to answer all of these questions, there were, you know, three or four, like, will the season start on time? You know, how will this affect, you know, players? And, and how do you play football with, with this virus and, and how easily it's spread? Scott, before we came on, you, you kind of summed it all up with one thing. It's just going to come down to how readily, te how readily available testing is and, and I guess kind of what that testing looks like by the time we get there. Yeah, that's one of the things uh, Dr. Fauci said, and I think it was in the uh, um, Peter King interview, I think. Um, basically, you, you, if, you, if you had a situation where you could test people Saturday night and then again Sunday morning, and then you let everybody who's negative play, you know, maybe that's a way forward. But, you know, I think the analogy here, the, the example he used is you have a linebacker going in to tackle someone and they're just going to, you know, spread germs all over everybody in that moment. And that's just, you know, football is just a great way to get this thing going to a bunch of different people. And that's not something you want to see. So I don't, football is the one sport I think that has the most to overcome with that. And again, I, 
and even going back to the fans, I went to Olive Garden last night to get my food, okay? And we're talking 50 people in the parking lot. That was a zoo, trying to just work the logistics of that and them coming out, you know, the, the waiters and, and waitresses coming out with the food and trying to figure out who was in what spot. And I, I can't imagine how, say you had people in a stadium every other row, how you would work them going to the concession stand or going to the restrooms. And, and, and that, in my mind, is a logistical nightmare too. So that's why I'm another reason why I'm kind of surprised, be surprised if there were fans in the stands. But before they even get to that point, they got to figure out how two football players can meet on the field and not have any concerns about spreading the virus. And we're would still a ways guys, away from that. Would you guys, if you knew that you could have fans in the stands, but you had to wait four weeks for football or six weeks for football, would you rather start on time with no fans or start Five or six weeks later with fans. Uh, I'd rather start later with fans. Yeah. I th the NFL makes its money from, from, from TV, right? And advertising and the, the ticket sales are way down the list. So I would think that they want to start and get their product out there. And at least they're on TV and they're, and, and they're making money and being seen that way. And then worry about the fans later. I don't see ticket sales as, as a big a deal as, as their media uh, contracts. Yeah, I, I, I think if we can push it back and there can be fans in the stadium, that's, that's the root of sport, uh, much like you know, college football, which is a much different conversation. But uh, you know, we've, we've heard university presidents come on and say, if there's no classes, then we're not having games. And, and that just at the root of all this is what sport is, that you know, the fans are there, you play the game. So if – if it's just a few weeks to push it back, I'm all for it. The fans deserve to see the product if they want to. Okay, our last, our last question here. Um, I'm going to take some artistic liberties with this, as I often do with these questions. From the 216 area code, since we're running short on time. Uh, the question is, uh, how did you guys get where you are now in this business? I'm going to change that just a little, because obviously we could probably spend each forever talking about this. Uh, but Mary Kay, I know you tweeted out, uh, during the last dance a few weeks ago, your sidebar about Craig Elo. Um, so I'm, I, I guess the way I'm going to ask this is, what was your first job in this business? Let's just do that. First well, job in this business. You know, I did my internship at the Plain Dealer when I was a journalism major at Kent State, and then they hired me right back. And so the Cleveland Plain Dealer was my first job in this business. And here I am after all these <laughs> lovely years. So that's it. Scott? My first full-time job in this business, I, I did, like everybody, I did, like, you know, I covered high school football games on a Friday night, but my first full-time job, right out of college, working at a weekly in Wellington, I think it was the Wellington Gazette in Wellington, Ohio, covering school board and a little bit of high school sports, and boy, I loved school board. Council <laughs> meetings, I, had, I could not wait to get out of that job. Luckily, I got snatched up by the Morning Journal in Lorraine and got to do sports full-time after that. Ellis? Yeah, for me, um, my first gig would have been in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I went to college, m majoring in journalism, of course. Um, but Scott, they wouldn't even let me go out to the games. I was answering the phones, <laughs> picking on Friday nights, Saturdays, picking up those phones, getting the box scores all put together into a Word doc. Um, nothing fun about it, but it, I felt it was the first time I felt a part of a, a, a journalism team and whatnot. And I felt I took my work very seriously because I knew I was making life for my editors easier. And I'm here now, so you know I'm I'm always grateful for that first opportunity. 
Okay. Well, my, much like Mary Kay, I was on the, uh, not the plane dealer, but I was on, I started on the production side of cleveland.com. Uh, so I had to like crash course myself on HTML and, and all that. So I had that HTML for dummies book uh, that, that I had to learn. But the very first thing I did at cleveland.com was a part-time job where I would manually enter events into the calendar and they'd come via fax machine and stuff like that. And I'd have to have these stacks of papers and I would just sit there for eight hours and enter in events for like the Metro parks and like some random jazz, jazz concert at a bar, stuff like that. So none of now, us if you want to, if you want to know how long ago I started in this business, and Mary Kay will probably remember this. It's back when we all used Tandy computers from Radio Shack and all you could see was three lines at a time. There was no internet and you had to hook up your computer to a phone in order to get it back to the office. That was a yeah. while ago. And my, my first beat at the plane dealer, my first full-time beat was if you look behind Scott's head there, you see the force banner. My first full-time beat when I was very young, very, very young, let's say, um, was covering the Cleveland force and traveling all over. I mean, we, it was huge. I mean, you'd go out to the Coliseum and there would be 14, 15,000 people, right, Scott? I mean, it was, oh, yeah. and we traveled everywhere for that beat. So I was, you know, in San Diego one weekend and Los Angeles in the other next weekend and Baltimore and Chicago. And I mean, it was just a, a great way to, you know, to figure out how to cover a beat because it, it was, it was huge back then. I think I yeah, remember, go ahead. Say they mentioned in the last dance how the Bulls used to be outdrawn by a major indoor soccer league team back then, that the Cavs were the same way. The Forest yep. outdrew the Cavs at yep. Road Bridge Field Coliseum. Yep, it was Incredible. big. Nothing, nothing like I just can't believe it. <laughs> it's true. PJ Johns and uh, I'm trying to think, Hector Marinero. Chris uh, Picaro, Kai Hoscovy. Kai Hoscovy. Keith yes. Furphy. Ali Cosimani. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Do some Google work tonight, Ellis. Look up some of yeah. those. I've got a lot to catch up on. Yep. All right. That'll do it for this edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Thanks to everybody that texted in their questions. If you want to get involved, uh, Football Insider, go to cleveland.com slash Browns. There's that box on the right side of the page. You can text that number that I told you about earlier to start your free trial and get on this every single Tuesday. So for Ellis, Scott, Mary Kay, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening.